I'm going to speak on the Beatitudes that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. There are eight of them. Some people say nine. The eighth one can be divided into two because it's blessed are those who persecuted, and you can make it into nine. I've chosen just eight of them. The first four are about how we think about ourselves and God, and the last four are action, putting into practice. And the Beatitudes are just what they sound like. Be attitude. Have this attitude. Take this attitude. If you can have this attitude that we're going to talk about, you will be blessed because the attitude itself will produce in you a work of God. This is no self-help here. These are God's prescriptions. In each of these, God helps us because it is His transforming power, but we simply are a vessel that surrenders to Him. So if we surrender to God, and God does this work in our life, and then the Beatitude tells what will happen to you, what, you, what you're actually wanting to do, and then what will be the transformation in your life. It's interesting how the word blessed, sometimes some people, you hear somebody sneeze, they say, God bless you think maybe they're just not wanting to get whatever it is they think the person has. When people hear me sneeze, they say, God help us. But if we get a huge blessing or raise or something, we say we got a huge blessing. Did you know Jesus used the word blessing in a much different way than we do? In the Sermon on the Mount, he, he did. So I'm going to read them to you, and then we're going to take four and four. The first are what I call the Beatitudes of need. The second four are the Beatitudes of action. So here they are. I'm going to read verses three through 10 and Matthew, Matthew chapter five. They're also found in Luke, but Matthew gives a fuller description of the Beatitudes. So Matthew chapter five, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So a quick recap here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are the persecutors. So we esteem the courageous, the wise, the funny, the intelligent, the attractive, the wealthy, the successful. And these Beatitudes, do you know who Jesus is steaming here and saying who's the blessed? The poor, the sad, the lowly, the hungry, the mistreated? They're the blessed. Jesus seems to turn everything upside down on its head. What we think is great, he thinks it's not. What we think is not worth anything, he thinks it's great. Welcome to the wisdom of the Lord. I call this message a broken blessedness. One of the criticisms of Christianity is that it is a religion for the weak. And do you know they got it right? <laughs> because 
True Christianity belongs to the weak, but not the weak in the sense that they understand it. Let's begin with the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the starting place for Christianity. This is where it all begins. Not the family you come from, not the money you have accumulated, not your occupation, not your status in life, not how you look or how you, how you are, how much money you have, not even your own morality. It is about the realization that I have nothing to give to God but my sinfulness. If you get there and you really do believe that, you will be blessed because you are poor in spirit. The second one is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So the first one is how you think about yourself and God. The second one is the corresponding emotion. Blessed are those who mourn. This is not just sorrowfulness for loss, but it's a deep contrition for our own sins and the sins of others, the sins of our nation. Have you felt the sins of this nation lately? The sin of a nation that kills its little babies? I mean, the millions and billions of dollars that are spent to save dogs and cats. I have nothing against dogs and cats, all right? But eagles and turtle eggs and animals are esteemed higher than little babies. The sinfulness of a nation is what we mourn over. How is it even possible in the last three years that this nation, they say 30% of all children in our public schools now think they are the opposite sex. In three years, it has gone from 2% to like 30%. And we know why, because this is being encouraged. And this is the sin we must mourn over. And I believe me, fight. But first of all, this heavy mournfulness. David said, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Nehemiah, he lived 600 miles from Jerusalem because his people had been exiled under the Babylonians. And he heard news that in Jerusalem things were bad. Very, very bad. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days I mourned and fast and prayed before the God of heaven. That's blessed those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Daniel prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. That's mourning. The third one, blessed are the meek. So if you're poor in spirit, if you mourn, it will produce meekness. This is a God quality because it is the opposite of arrogance. It's the opposite of self-reliance. You don't meet meekness too much. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's the disposition God gives those who are poor in spirit, who mourn for their own sin and the sins of their nation. There is a meekness that comes to them. And the fourth one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a progression here. 
You can't turn this around. You don't hunger and thirst for righteousness unless there is a humility of spirit where you are broken by your own sinfulness and a mourning for it and a meekness. Then you're going to be led. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Leo Tolstoy is a Russian novelist, very famous, but he probably demonstrates the attitude of many, many millions of Americans today, not just America, but this is where we live. He said, God is what you make of him, and God is for your benefit and for your welfare. He once wrote, read a work on the literary characterization of genius today, This awoke in me the conviction that I am a remarkable man, both as regards capacity and eagerness to work. I have not yet met a single man who was morally as good as I. I do not remember an instant in my life when I was not attracted to what is good and was not ready to sacrifice anything for it. He goes on to say that he felt he was of the category of men like Moses, Isaiah, Confucius, Buddha, Socrates, Jesus, Pascal, Spinoza. There's a parable that describes two categories of people. Those who think their righteousness is sufficient, like Tolstoy. And people who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have no righteousness whatsoever. And this parable sums up these first four Beatitudes. It is the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. I read it to you out of Luke. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by and obeyed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus' commentary on the two men. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the verse before the parable, Jesus tells us why he told the parable. Listen to this, verse 9. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He told it for everyone who thinks they're good enough and who look down on others. This parable is a summation of those first four Beatitudes. Unless we recognize our need for God, we don't even get to first base with God. It all starts with recognizing our need, our sinfulness, and then we mourn for it. These Beatitudes also have a future part, a future component. Look at verse 11 of Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, the parables had started out in third person. Now Jesus makes it personal, you. This is Jesus' way of teaching. The very first parable, verse 3 Notice how it starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then the last parable, ends this, uh, the last beatitude ends the same way. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs. So the first one and the last one add this clause that theirs is the kingdom of God. 
There's this future aspect to the parables. There is a now aspect, and there is a to come aspect. They will be, they shall be comforted. They shall inherit. They shall be satisfied. They shall see God. They shall be called sons of God. Now, we know when we receive Jesus and he transforms our life, we know the wonderful forgiveness, the lifting of the guilt and the shame, the comfort that can come to our lives from his word and his presence and the satisfaction of living for God by his grace. But verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Not just heaven as a reward, but your reward in heaven. This is part of what the attitude is here. So God transforms us and we actually live with a different attitude, 180 degrees from the world and God works through us. But we also have this longing for heaven. Jesus wants us to have this longing. So we use this word called delayed gratification. Our world does not believe in delayed gratification. You get things in the mail that says 0% interest, and they say, take our credit card, 0% interest for, for six months. But then down there at the bottom, there's this real fine, so small you could hardly read it, that says that on the last day, if you don't have that thing paid by June 30th, 32% is going to kick in, retroactive. But the whole credit card is about you having what you want now. Take that trip, buy that car, whatever. You deserve it. Our whole society is about not waiting. But the Beatitudes are about waiting. That heaven is worth waiting for. It's worth longing for. It's worth looking for. The Apostle Paul believed in delayed gratification. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He is waiting for it, longing for it, expecting it. It's not here yet, but I am longing for it. To the Philippians, he said, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I cash in when I die. I am longing for heaven. The description that John gives us in Revelation is something that makes us long for heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Aging, disease, sickness, death. No longer will there be any curse. That curse is so descriptive. Whether the curse of nature, the curse of our bodies. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever.
And Jesus says, beginning at the very first one, the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he ends with, blessed are those who persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We long for heaven. Now let's talk about the last four. So the first four were about thinking about God and ourselves in the correct way, about being spiritually poor in spirit and mourning, allowing a meekness in our attitude, this arrogant spirit to disappear, and longing for heaven. And then Jesus moves into beatitudes of actions. So these are the attitudes, now attitudes that produce action. Let's take the first one, because what, what it is, they are selflessness. It is an attack of self-denial. The Christian life can really be summed up in self-denial. So what is considered to be Christian weakness is really self-denial. Denying self is how we produce, or God produces, these attitudes in us. So the second set, first one is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's take the first one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. These are those who forgive their trespasses. People who trespass against them, they've already been forgiven and they understand that forgiveness belongs to others. Peter was having a problem forgiving. So he said to the Lord, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Peter thought that was pretty generous. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or in other words, don't keep track. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all they had be sold to repay the debt. As this servant fell on his knees before him, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from their heart. Mercy is showing forgiveness, showing grace. The second one, the second action Beatitude is verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those that are not motivated by man's approval, pleasing other people, but have given their undivided attention to following the Lord, genuinely serving Him with gratitude. They are the pure in heart. 
no ulterior motives. The third one are, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. These are those that make peace between two people at odds, between two groups, between two nations, and most of all, between a man or a woman who needs to be reconciled to God. Sharing the gospel with a child or a teenager or an adult is the greatest peacemaking enterprise there is. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's amazing that when these action ones, when you put them, when you, when you serve the Lord, there is a rejection, a persecution that comes against people who are genuinely serving the Lord. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there has been people who've been protesting abortion clinics. And the Biden administration is throwing him in jail for up to 10 years. Now, people who have attacked pregnancy crisis centers and nothing, no charges, no, nothing at all. There are many ways Christians will be persecuted. And our Lord was persecuted, and we should expect persecution. But this says you are blessed when that kind of persecution comes to your life. But we get to the place where we stop hungering and thirsting for wealth or position or status or fame or whatever this world thinks is most important, something begins to happen in our life. There is a fulfillment. When you do these action beatitudes, you're showing mercy, you're, you're sharing the gospel, you're showing compassion, there's a sense of fulfillment that comes to your life. And do you know who is the embodiment of all of these? It's Jesus. Just as in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the description of love, you can put your name in there. Boyd is always forgiving. Boyd is always kind. Boyd is, and it makes you feel very uncomfortable to put your name in there. But when you put Jesus in 1 Corinthians 13, it fits. Just the way he is the embodiment of every one of these beatitudes. He was poor in spirit. He mourned, not over his sins because he was sinless, but he mourned over our sins. Jesus' humility displayed in, in him becoming a lowly human being. He mourned over our sins. He hungered and thirsted for God's righteousness. That's why he overturned the temple because it was such a sham, the tables in the temple. He showed mercy as he healed countless people who came and suffered from diseases and healed their bodies and set them free and forgave sinners. The greatest thing he did was sharing the gospel. He was the peacemaker, setting people in tune with God. More than any figure in history, Jesus is persecuted. He was then and he is and continues to be. But he showed us how to suffer. Matthew 27, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hell, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own, his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. The way Jesus suffered was perhaps one of the greatest demonstrations of who he was. 
He showed us how to look ahead. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Was the cross easy? Of course it was not. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. I mean, he made it irrelevant. What shame he bore, but he scorned that shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He showed us what to look forward to beyond the shame or the cross. He showed us how to be selfless. And this is what the Beatitudes are. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Who is like Jesus? We all fail. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have the greatest possibility of modeling our lives after him. First of all, Jesus never asked us to travel a road he didn't travel. He demonstrated selflessness and brokenness. He longed for heaven, and we should be longing for heaven. One of the reasons we suffer so much here is that we don't see heaven. We don't long for heaven enough. Jesus shows us how to live in this sin-sick, corrupt world and long for heaven and show these attitudes while we're here. That's my prayer for us today, this year, that God would help us to live these beatitudes as a congregation.